Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Okay, fellas, uh, we are going alive. Uh, we're half an hour earlier than normal because I have to catch a flight. Um, and I really wanted to come on and chat to everybody. So, doing, our, so our, our normal 30 minutes of prep time beforehand uh, <laughs> is gone. So it's going to be even sloppier than <laughs> hard to imagine, but here we go. I didn't help out very much. All good. You um, want me to say why? No, I don't. <laughs> no, don't do All righty. You guys have been traveling. So what, what's, uh, what's news? Well, we were around last week. We were at Bloomstrand's thing. Um, which is sort of interesting because he posted a thread and it filled up my inbox with um, like people. So he, he mentioned that one of the questions uh, that was asked is who's long Tesla. And he mentioned that there was laughter and I got, I wouldn't say lit up, but a number of people reached out to me and they were like, is this really what it was? That's so closed minded that shuts down conversation. And I think what I would say is um, I think that the idea of being curious is much more beneficial than being judgmental. Um, When you're in a room and Chris asks if anybody's long Tesla and you have any idea what his view of Tesla is, it's somewhat hard not to laugh. Uh, I am beyond a thought on the equity. I don't really care. And since I got there, my life got a lot better. Uh, it's either going to be worth a lot more or a lot less or the same or neither or none. And I don't care. Uh, but you know, when he asked the question, I laughed because of who was asking, not because of, uh, of you. And I think in general, um, that's probably not that, that far off from the, from the group idea. It's just to contextualize it. It blasted through a trillion, uh, market cap. Uh, it's been a trilly fully diluted for a little while but i guess market cap is uh yeah more people know about that (laughs) is it like a 300 p did i see that yeah i guess earnings i mean earnings aren't the right measure but anyway it doesn't matter it's uh you're paying a lot for a a future yeah i see what you're saying the p doesn't matter because it's it's um it's going to grow into the valuation well, I'm just saying, like, you, you wouldn't value that on on trailing earnings, right? I don't, I don't think anybody is doing that. No, I don't think anybody's doing that either. Just, just to clarify, yeah. I think the other part of why there was, I don't even think laughter was the right thing necessarily. It was more we had just all been talking Rufal about laughter. it. Well, we've been talking about the numbers of it before that little vote started, and so you know, it was just sort of like you know, after everyone had expressed their opinion and then no one raises their hand, basically like, you know, it's just sort of like a little bit funny. It wasn't, there was no like, and therefore I'm better than everyone else or that my mind is closed to it or anything like that. It was just, I don't know, like people are reading way too much into that. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. People were like, oh, this is a bunch of, you know, value guys that are destined to underperform and whatnot. And, you know, as, as somebody that was in the room, I guess I, I'm bound to take a little bit of offense to that comment. Um, what I would say is that in that room, um, there were people that pitched, you know, high multiple stocks. There were people that pitched cyclicals. There were people that pitched 
other things like I don't, um, you know, everybody was, well, not everybody, but there was a large majority was a uh, Caucasian male. If people want to, you know, take, take homage with that or whatever, if they want to you know, be upset about, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Not homage. Uh, but you know, like that's, that's a fair critique and um, you know, maybe a little bit more Silicon Valley mindset in the room uh, from one or two people wouldn't be the worst idea, but I don't, I don't think, um, look, I just continue to go back to it. Unless you're in the room, you don't know what happened. And even somebody that was in the room, I I still doesn't know what happened. That's right. Like (laughs) I have my version of what happened and he has his, and that's just kind of how it is. Right. Um, so that was fun, but it was a good weekend. A lot of good guys. Um, Good fundamental research on display there kind of almost you know, you forget that people are still doing real work in markets and <laughs> like actually well, businesses. Look, so and- I, I do think this is a, like a legit pushback. I mean, there's a lot of tech guys that do real work that like we just don't fully get or don't look at the world the same. And that's that's like fine. I, I people that I, I meant that, more like passive indexing as the yeah. as a as a broad category. Yeah, I think that's fair. But, you know, like we, I, I don't know, one of the nights at dinner, like we, I talked about hyper growth with one of the guys and we were saying that like, you know, for the right business, you can pay. I mean, really, if the business is small enough and it's growing enough, you could pay 30, 50 times sales for some of these. I just don't know which ones. If I did, I would be buying them. You probably just don't want to do it for all of them is the. Yeah, I right, think a basket a base is unlikely to outperform over you know i mean if you believe in historical studies having any you know relevance i guess would be the way to say it this is a kind of a bumpy segue but it is there's i can't tie it together just one one second wait hang on wait (laughs) i'm gonna guess growth and value are at a wide dispersion (laughs) they're tied at the hip did you know that i did not know they are do evaluation literally yeah you gotta incorporate some growth now i was gonna say uh I read, I, I read the quarterly letters of some of the big investors when they come out. One of them was Bill Miller's, and it looked to me like Bill Miller uh, maybe have written his last quarterly letter. Do you guys catch that one? No, I didn't see that. No. Who's going to be taking over, Samantha? Well, I, yeah, the, the Bill, Bill Miller Jr. and, and uh, the other lady there. Yes, yeah, Samantha. Yeah. Huh. Uh, interesting. I just thought it was an interesting an So interesting it happens moment. when you make shit tons on Bitcoin and growth stocks, folks. Well, that's the point that I was going to make, that he he said, you know, we're in a bull market that started in March 2009. Um, I don't think that he was saying, he, he, he said, he's not predicting it's going to end or anything like that. He just said, it'll end when it ends. But he, I, I just thought it was interesting because he has, for exactly that reason, he's a guy who owns a lot of Bitcoin and he's been a really great growth stock investor his entire career. And uh, taking a step out now, is there any significance in that? Like just maybe can't find the kind of things that he likes to, to aim at i don't know bill i'm sorry for what i'm about to say but he's kind of up there in years he makes that point and he he's does. super rich so yes. like i don't know why would i shit i don't even know if i want to stay in the game i don't know why i would stay in the game <laughs> if i was him because it's fun because you're crushing it because it's easy yeah did- but at some point like what are you doing it for i don't know i get it Everybody's got to retire. Why not walk out on get top? out of the wall? He he did. He makes the point that he's uh, he's been in the markets for forty years and he's achieved three score and ten. He's allotted three score and ten, uh, which is seventy. Uh, I, I understand, but he's a little bit older than that, I think, isn't he? I don't know. 
If he says he's 70, I'm going to go with he's 70. Well, he said three score. He said, I think he said at least three score and 10. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'd probably just go chill on a boat somewhere. It's fair. <laughs> so know, we're all, everyone's aiming for that. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, I'll, I'll right. be hanging around until value works. So I'm going to be an old man. Cute well, the, you know, like, I mean, Jeff. <laughs> I don't know if he's got grandkids. I don't know his personal life. I I would I would be bowing out if I were him too. Then what what about uh, the 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 two old legends who are still running Berkshire? They 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 they, they passed three score and ten more than twenty years ago, more than a yeah. score ago. I don't have oh, it in me. I just I wouldn't want to work for that long for that hard. And I know that they love it and all this tap dancing the work stuff. I, I would argue uh, there's a non-illegitimate argument to be made that Buffett has always been a workaholic. So expecting him to hang it up is uh, unlikely to occur. And I don't know what Munger really does. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for whatever he wants. Role. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, what's the job posting for that one? <laughs> the, the other, uh, the other article, uh, the other letter that I read that I thought was kind of interesting was the Third Avenue one. Uh, you know, Marty Whitman passed away a few years ago, but Third Third Avenue continues on, and Third Avenue does as much in credit as they do in equity. So I just think they're kind of an interesting shop to read. Um, the first thing that they discuss is inflation. I was saying to Jake before we came on. I always feel, I feel like I could just about write a Third Avenue um, letter. Not not a criticism of Third Avenue. It's just I think the same way. You know, for for all of the disasters that have befallen both of us through that period of time it's i don't it's very group thinking but i i kind of uh, like i like their letters and i the thing that they talk about is inflation and I, they made this kind of interesting point you know the fed has its own calculation for the rent equivalent home costs so like if you own a home they translate across they translate that across into rent so they can do their calculations and they calculated 2.6 percent I just it, it just escapes me. I think that's for the last. I don't know if that's Month? for the quarter or for the. So it's either <laughs> yeah. quarter or year. I just today. <laughs> Let's say it was year. Let's say it was for okay. the year. And then uh, Zillow has the you know Zillow just takes in all those data points and they have a calculation and theirs was eleven point six percent. And hmm. Third Avenue says Zillow. if you take Zillow's number and then you feed it into the five point three percent number that the Fed got for for the rolling twelve months, you get eight point three percent. Which is a very substantial, uh, you know, inflation that we all know that the Fed slightly undercounts because they're well, they undercount because they're incentivized to do so. Zillow's about to get cancelled, like like the yeah, uh, Chapwood well, and Billion Price Project and <laughs> Shadow Stats, and <laughs> they're not buying they're not buying houses anymore. Maybe that's maybe that's what happened. Mm. And then um, the final point that. Third Avenue made. Oh, damn, it's just escaping me at the moment. So 8% though, kind of more realistic right now, like year over year. That was what they thought. And then they made the point that house price, this was the other thing they made, that the house prices are up like 18.3% over the last 12 months. And even if you regard that as transitory, like if you think about that over a three-year period, it's like 5.7% a year for three years, which, you know, that's that's very, very substantial inflation. The Fed's saying 2% is their target. So they're way, way overshooting that target. Dude, I feel like you don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> you need to check out the Logan episode. What, what did he say? He thought that uh, house prices would go up like 
over the four years ended 2024. And he was like, the problem is it happened in one year. And his, his like, he called it the most unhealthy uh, housing market that he's seen. And the reason that he says it's so unhealthy is he uh, didn't anticipate, I don't think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think that the, uh, I think the pandemic created abnormal shortages relative to what he expected and also like pulled forward uh, this demand that, you know, was sort of tough to predict. Um, so now you got a bunch of labor backlogs and all that stuff. It's uh, we'll see how it all turns out. Is that a commentary on housing or is that a commentary on inflation? Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know that it has to be either or I think it can kind of be a little bit of both. Yeah, this, this is the this is one of the things that breaks my head a little bit. Like we talk about with Mike, um, you know, lumber prices and how that and housing being, you know, for the last decade, and you can see like housing probably there weren't un- enough houses built because there was the the hangover from beforehand. Ivy Zellman disagrees for the record. I don't know that she's right though. I've gone through her deck a couple of times and I can't figure it out. And I have said that I don't know that that's the case either. I just I just saw that it was under it just looked like it was it was lower than it has been traditionally through this part of the cycle. It's just a very, very slow running cycle. Like we're still only like midway through the rate at which we have, you know, and it tends to be quite a sawtooth pattern. And we're really like a, a very flat recovery. But the question is, um, you know, how much of this is like a housing shortage and how much of this is just like a whole lot of money dumped into the system? And that's the hard thing to kind of figure out which one is driving which. Maybe it's a little bit of both, as you say. Maybe it's yeah. a lot of both. Yeah, I, I think it is. I don't know. I mean, look, I think that ultimately when rates are where they are, uh, the affordability is is pretty good. Now, people come back and they're like, well, what about the down payment? I don't know all of the necessary requirements to re- where you could get the 97% FHA loan. I think it's for your first house. I could be wrong on that, though. Maybe it's got to be multifamily. Um but I, I, uh, I don't think people are priced out per se. Um, I do really believe uh, that if you're buying a house and it's moderately levered right now, if you can afford the payment, you better really like your house. Because if rates go up, you may not have much equity left, which is fine, right? If you can pay it down over 30 years, who gives a shit, really? I mean, you've got somewhere to live and it's just a markdown on paper, and whatever, but I I do think liquidity could be the risk that people if you have are running. To move, it's an issue, right? That's right. So hope, hopefully you like where you live is kind of the takeaway. Because then I think you're kind of hedged. I know somebody's out there laughing at me. Fuck you. No, I'm kidding. I, I love all you, especially you, Bill Miller. Shout out to you. Anyway, Bill Miller senior or Bill Miller junior? Bill Miller. Junior. Oh, I don't know. Ju- I don't fourth. know. Junior. Junior will probably start listening once he gets you know higher status. There's only the ten listeners. Ten. <laughs> yeah. So you know, someone you has to die, like, and then there's someone could take their spot. Yeah, or retire. He doesn't have to die. He okay. can just say, "All right, you know, Junior, I've done my listening. I've learned what I have to from these guys. Now it's your turn." <laughs> I'm now dumber for having listened. I have to retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I came into Value After Hours with Alpha, and I leave out of the game. You're you know, welcome, you're, folks. You're talking about uh, that supply and demand and like, which is it? And um, or is it, you know, is it just a bunch of money? It's almost as if it's really hard to figure out when there's millions of people 
who are making decisions and there's billions of transactions and they have a particular calculus in their head of where they find subjective value. It's almost as if it would be impossible for anybody sitting in Washington, D.C. to know what the right thing to do is. And maybe we should let the market figure some things out once in a while. I've read on Twitter that they are the best forecasters in the game. Oh, well, they are putting up good returns in their PAs. So <laughs> that makes sense. I do. I do think um, one of the more compelling arguments that I have heard for why inflation is less transitory than someone like I may be in the camp of uh, is, and this is like really famous last words, but there's been so much pain in a lot of the distributors of commodities and the commodity businesses in general, that there has been a lot of consolidation in a lot of different markets and a common theme and this is bound to be said by people that are long, so call it selection bias if you want, but is that a lot of these industries that have historically been pretty shitty have now consolidated into three to four rational players. And therefore, even if you can't take price necessarily, you don't have to be in a price war, right? The, the competition is more rational throughout the chain. And if you have a scenario like 2020 that gives you the chance to bump prices once, you may not find yourself lowering them down the road, even if, you're, if your inputs go down, right? You may actually get some of that margin for once in your life. Or and maybe even withhold some volume to keep that price at a... None of this is going to happen. Rational I think it's level. nice to think about it. I mean, it, this, yeah, I, well, I, tend to, I tend to sort of agree. On the other hand, when Mike and I were, I mean, we were calling people in the lumber business last year. Maybe it was, maybe it was earlier in the year. But, you know, people were really shell-shocked from, you know, the five years leading up to that mooning period. Um, so there wasn't like a whole lot of appetite to increase capacity. It's underinvested. That's what, I mean, that's what creates this like capital cycle theory. That's what creates the... Um, Shortage. Yeah, it's what creates the, the conditions that lead to the, to the next little boom. And then that'll draw all of the people who are currently like making NFTs and all of that other shit. And they'll come in and then there'll be everybody <laughs> be a mining expert. Yeah. <laughs> I do think um, one thing that I found myself wondering is uh, a common sort of theme too was these institutions not wanting to touch industry or, or energy and they kind of want like investments yeah. in renewables. And part of me was thinking, uh, shout out to the homie, the science of hitting investing for putting this the seed in my head. And then I kind of expanded on it, but you know, like those are, if you're Harvard, do you really need an oil investment? Like you got enough money anyway. There is a, a part of your endowment that's not really about returns and it is actually about driving society where you think it should be. Now we can disagree and debate whether or not oil should be in that equation. I would argue it should be, but fine. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't actually disagree with them saying that industry has enough funds to self-fund itself capital going into it has resulted in decimation of capital for a long time. Like we're just not going to play in that game. I, I don't think that's patently stupid of them. Have fun staying poor, <laughs> but they're Harvard. I'm just kidding. You know, like, I mean, their returns don't even matter. The endowment's so big, like who gives a shit? They're, they've underperformed apparently. I, I, 
that just means they didn't hold a whole lot of it. They weren't 150% S and P 500. Well, and I guess what I'm saying is I do do think that, I do think that they are, I mean, the allocators there would probably, you know, call me up and chew me out for saying this, but I just kind of wonder how much they're like, look, you know, like really behind closed doors. They're like, look, this may underperform, but it's good for the world as we perceive it to be. So that's how we're going to allocate our capital. And if we underperform, so be it. And I bet their freaking alumni base doesn't care. Right? They're like, whatever, we'll just shovel more money at you if you underperform. It doesn't matter. That's fair. So it's kind of, a, it's different, right? Not the same goals. Do you guys have uh, topics? Or I'm wrong. JT, you got some veggies for today? When would I ever show up without veggies? I, uh, do we want to do them right now? Sure. All right. Well, I'm going to talk your, Facebook. At your own peril. Uh, so this, I have a kind of gross one for us today, which should be fun. And it's this little protozoan that's called the Toxoplasma gondi. And gondi, I'm not sure exactly how people say that, but uh, it, it causes toxoplasmosis uh and it turns out 30 to 40 percent of the world's population is infected with toxoplasmosis to varying degrees uh so in rats it will cause rats to take risks including like go up to cats and basically get eaten (laughs) and the the it obviously it greatly increases your chances of being eaten if you go up to a cat and you're a rat um but that's where toxoplasma wants to end up is in the guts of a cat where it then will come out of the cat in the cat's poop and somehow find its way into humans from cat poop. Uh, now, lest you think that there are all these people out there eating cat poop, I don't think that's actually true because this little thing can live for a year outside of the gut of whatever animal it's in and, and, and get transferred. Uh, so somehow, you know, a year something touches something it touches something else and eventually it winds up in your mouth and uh that's how 30 to 40 percent of people have this so it hmm. i know and it's it's disgusting but uh we're gonna keep going somehow it ends up in your mouth so it seems well we're gonna get to more of that so it seems to are to, we yeah see, it seems to to preferentially prefer to take residence in the amygdala of the brain of whatever animal that it's in and so Oddly enough, the amygdala, if when it is suppressed, uh, will make rats less fearful and actually more sexual. And so if you remove the amygdala of an animal, it will become hypersexual, fearless, and, and I'm just reading from, this is research, it's not me, become hyperoral, which means inappropriate objects placed in the mouth. There you uh, go. So. <laughs> we need to take some swabs down to Wall Street and find out what's going on. So let, well, we will get to that, but uh, this, a lot of this came, or my, the inspiration of digging into this more came from this guy that I follow on Twitter named Ethan Mollick, who's a professor at Wharton that studies innovation and entrepreneurship. And what they found was that uh, Toxoplasma Gandhi, the infection, is associated with a subsequent increase in the probability of becoming an entrepreneur. So your risk appetite in the world may be dictated by this little tiny thing that forms cysts in the brain. And like there's these little like 50 micrometer, uh, which is like one to 10 to the uh, 10 to the negative six 
power of a meter. Um, little tiny things. Visualize. Well, sorry, it's like uh, <laughs> roughly the, the 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 diameter of a human hair. Um, okay. So people like students with with this who are, have been measured are 180 percent more likely to start a venture, and and infected founders have eight percent more revenue when when surveyed uh, in the in the venture space. So it does make you wonder, like, what if you're a trader or an investor, or maybe you want to get tested to see, like, God, am I like predisposed to risk because of this little tiny protozoa that is infecting my amygdala and like changing how I perceive risk? Uh, or maybe if you're a VC, you actually want yeah. to measure your potential founders that you want to invest into, like, and maybe like slip a little cat poop into their food. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> That's, that was what I was going to say. Is, is this a risk factor? Or is this like one of the things that you like 8% more revenue? That's material. Hey, I mean, you, sometimes you got to you got to do whatever you break is necessary. A few eggs, yeah, to, to make an omelet. Uh, <laughs> and I, so here's what I think is is where it gets weird is that uh, here's where it gets weird. Yeah, good. yeah, In, good. I was looking forward to that. I, you look I'm at, convinced I'm not even mature enough for this segment. By the way, yeah, that's fine. Uh, Google Trends. If you look at like 2010. There's a liftoff in uh, people huh? searching for cat videos, so I'm I'm thinking, uh, you know, maybe there was an infection period there, and that's why everyone's risk taking deep into this this bull market is because yeah. it's all taxo uh, toxoplasmosis. <laughs> I actually have a theory that right now, despite all the surveys and despite the valuations, and this is going to sound really stupid. But I think these IPOs uh, and some of the SPACs that we're seeing may actually be some really, really good 10-year businesses to own. For, because I think that coming out of 2010, uh, there were some tax incentives that created some really good companies. I don't know. I'm going to be really interested to see how this period seasons. Obviously, starting valuations are a headwind. Yeah, I would probably, if I was a betting man, I would say... Uh, incredibly high dispersion with some of probably the biggest winners of all time, but a yeah. base rate of like uh, nuclear fallout. Yeah. I don't think that I'd disagree with that. That's because we're just part of a big group. The chamber chamber bill. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so should we, can we deduce anything from the fact you're wearing a Patagucci uh, vest there? If you, have you joined the. It's cold in my house. That's the. <laughs> Patagucci. That's what you can deduce. Patagucci and toxoplasmosis, and you're you're a superstar trader. That's that's what we figured out in this this week. The the really scary thing about the all I know is that Jake's putting a lot of stuff in his mouth. That's the only thing that I took from that entire segment. Hyper oral. <laughs> the the, the, the scariest thing is that it impacts your behavior so much, like that cats you know rats showing up in front of 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 cats like i think they're attracted to the smell of cat urine as well like it's very it it it, it completely gets rid of their fear of cats and it, and it reverses it and makes them attracted to them oh, who knows really like humans sexually attracted to them is what one is study right? showed yeah which i don't know how you what kind of like tom and jerry stuff you're watching uh to come up with that one but <laughs> dude i'll tell you what that's some darwinism cold stuff for the rat it's like oh you get all turned on and all of a sudden this cat just it's like buying a value stock that's that's how you want to go isn't it <laughs> yeah eaten by a cat or with toxoplasmosis yeah. i mean this gotta be it's that altise it, murder right there 
It's not necessarily about like you're saying oh, that toxoplasmosis has these beneficial effects too. Like increased risk-taking behavior is not necessarily all negative because it makes you become an entrepreneur and then it makes you generate eight percent more revenue than you otherwise would. Yeah, maybe. I mean, is it? Um, I mean, we sort of have this idea that being well, like humans are a little biased towards optimism, which probably helps us for on a in an emergent way, but maybe not in the individual way. It helps society. It doesn't help individuals. Right. So this is maybe a, a comparable thing where it's from the individual standpoint, it may actually be suboptimal, but from moving the grinding the wheels forward of society, it, it is perhaps more optimal. I think if I look at my portfolio, it's pretty clear I don't have toxoplasmosis. <laughs> you got a real, real shortage of it. Huh? There's a lot. There's not, there's a, there's not a lot of risk taking in that portfolio. Bill, how's your portfolio? There's your problem. I think I probably have an, a moderate amount of. He's been eating some cat turds. Cat shit. <laughs> it's the cat shit portfolio. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, that's really scary. It used to be the thing that uh, if you were, you know, the the cat lady would die of toxoplasmosis. Hmm. Well, so it, it can like eventually uh, cause so many cysts in your brain that it will like mess up your, you know, the function and. Um, like lead to like actual, you know, real health out consequences. For the most part, people don't notice that they have it. Obviously, like we're not all 30 to 40 percent of us are not running around, you know, like like cat shit zombies. So. Just got this urge to go and put everything on red and just let it ride. Just let it keep on going. <laughs> so speaking about uh, just like brains and how they're messed up, I had this talk with uh, a woman about how I need to sleep better. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try to sleep better. Well, that's not going too well, but <laughs> you guys have kids. You'll realize, you'll know this. I switched sides of the bed with my wife. This is totally unrelated, but Jake talking about tumors in your brain is what, what triggered the thought. Every fucking night, my four-year-old comes up and I just hear like right up in my ear. And I'm like, bro, get away from me. I'm in deep sleep. Then he goes away. Then like the six-year-old's coming in two hours later and I got to pee sometime. There's no way I'm getting eight hours of sleep for like the next decade. Uh, yeah. So much. I'm going to die of tumors and I don't even eat cat poop. Yeah. I'm sorry I brought that up, but it's been bothering me. Well, sleeping is a very important part of, uh, of life and it's hard to function if you don't get good sleep. So you got to be careful. I, I, I'm careful to make sure that I, and it's hard with little kids because they interrupt all the time. But there are lots of things you can do, like exercising, trying not to be too stressed. Locking the floor. <laughs> yeah, well, can't do that. Okay. Why wouldn't that be? But then there's, <laughs> there's uh, you know, no caffeine sort of too late in the day because caffeine's got a very long half-life. All those mm. things, got to be careful of that. And, and then like no devices an, an hour before you uh -oh. go to sleep. You can control a lot of it. There's a lot of it you can control. But one thing that I found that makes it really, really hard to go to sleep is lying there thinking, I really got to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. Uh, infrared sauna before bed is a, is a game changer for the deep sleep. The heck is an infrared sauna? Oh, baby. Let's get, <laughs> let's get into it. It's a, let's, it's, let's... it's a big wooden box that you get in and just sweat out all the impurities. Do you have that? Yeah. Wow. What about melatonin? I, I'm not, I don't indulge a lot and I'm kind of a tightwad, but when it comes to health stuff, the wife and I will, will pay up for, for things. And you find that works. Do you do it an hour before sleep? 
for an hour? Uh, an hour would be a fairly long time. Depends on how high you have the temperature as well. Um, I'm usually like a, a good 30 minutes and that's, that, that'll be real nice. Shower Ooh, off. You. Boom. Sleep some like a Joe lot. Rogan stuff or some Tim Ferriss stuff right there. Oh, we're just scratching the surface, man. I got all kinds of crazy shit. What about melatonin? Do you have any melatonin pills? I've heard that that's something that can. I don't do that. Um, I, I have, if I'm traveling, like we'll try to reset the clock a little bit, especially if it's like a, a really, you know, big time zone shift, but, but now generally like getting sunlight into your eyeballs first thing in the morning, it will, will get the melatonin like timer going like better than, than, uh, if you don't do that. So that helps kind of set your circadian rhythm. So you're saying I need to wake up and stare at the sun, (laughs) just some like go outside, get some fresh air, like don't wear sunglasses in the morning. Like I try not. that's kind of a, that helps. I think what else, uh, paid up for the chili pad, which is a, uh, basically like a mattress cover that will circulate cold or whatever temperature, but typically cold water through it so that you, you stay cooler and sleep Ooh. deeper. I've been sweating. I need that. Uh, I've experimented with a teaspoon of honey before bed and it will lead to like very vivid dreams. Um, I don't know why that happens exactly, but it's, I've read about it and tried it and I found it to be kind of true. Um, you don't continue to do that though. Dreams uh, are too vivid. Yeah. That's too scary. (laughs) No, I, I don't know. I just like forget sometimes I just don't do it. Also, I'd like just, I don't know if I need to add any extra sugar over and above my already the amount that I'd make uh, or take in uh, sleep specific. Do you do the uh, like chill the room down to whatever it is, 67 oh. degrees or whatever you're supposed to be at? Yeah. I, I mean, well, we keep the house pretty cold in the winter and don't dudes in a pad of Gucci. Right. Uh, so here's the other weird one. Uh, mouth taping. So I tape my mouth shut at night. Do you really? Yeah. So I only breathe through my nose. Huh? I found that actually makes a pretty big difference. Like I've AB tested that one a fair amount. Does it hurt when you take the tape off? Uh, less so if you're cleanly shaven. Mm. A little bit more so, but it's not so bad. It's like it. It's almost like an athletic tape that, you know, it's not like uh, yeah, you're putting duct tape on your face or something. (laughs) My wife might like if I did that during the day. Yeah, you could try that. It hurt my podcasting career, but I don't know how that's going anyway. Save it all up for the podcast. That's fair. Just rip it off and just go nuts. The words just come out. Um, Those are good tips. Let's do a segue. Let's do do Facebook. We can do Facebook. Uh, Earnings, interesting. You got- What were uh, they, like 35% year on year? Something like that. Um, I don't know the actual earnings. I can tell you that the ARPU growth globally was 27%. Uh, you can, to use Netflix's terms, uh, 32%, Europe, 33%, Asia Pacific, 17%, rest of the world, 41 But the big news is the Zuck machine is going to create the metaverse. And uh, he's going to be, I think, this is going off memory, do your own work think he said that they're guiding to like 90 billion in expenses next year to put that in perspective targets revenue is 100 billion i thought this was a cap light business 
negatory Julio hasn't been for a while. <laughs> What's the money going into? What, how do you spend? Well, money I think that's what some of people. I think that's what people are trying to um, figure out. <clears throat> um, Not your pocket now. <laughs> well, my man Akram uh, Akram's razor. Uh, his theory is that they may have developed their own chip. I'm pretty sure he said that publicly. Um, and you know, I I think that one of the things that's interesting is. One, is that a chip I mean, that gets implanted in me, or is that no? That's the Bill Gates. Uh, oh, oh okay. demonetized! Sorry. Boom! Thanks, Google. <laughs> um, the uh, now, I, now I got my head Sorry, in Bill. a different place. It's okay. No, so you know the the changes that Apple implemented is causing some havoc among the advertising industry, specifically. Uh, tracking and attribution are sort of the issues that people are speaking about. I think Zuckerberg, I'm a huge Oculus fan, as you guys know from- Do you have one? Yeah, and I fucking love it. I think it's amazing. And I think that people, I'll tell you what I really think people are sleeping on is if, I think that assuming the trend line in airline miles traveled, leading up to 2019 and then post COVID that is a a scary, scary proposition. Uh, I happen to know of a consulting firm that just ordered 60,000 Oculuses and distributed it to their workforce. They have a television in-house studio and they're sending Oculuses out to boardrooms to have presentations in the boardrooms, right? So it's like VR presentations. They're not perfect yet. But like this stuff is coming. And I think that if I think like I don't know that Facebook's going to win, but I under, I think I understand what Zuckerberg's doing with what he's trying to invest in. And I think what he's saying is I want my own closed system so that I never have to deal with like Apple's tax ever again or being beholden to somebody else. And if I can win the next sort of version of the world, then I will own the whole thing, like create this closed loop. Uh, it's not crazy to me. I don't know how you assess the, the probability. And I think that he's, you know, it's going to be, I'm, I'm fascinated to watch this all play out because last, last night people read some of the guidance and he says, I, I'm almost certain I'm doing this one off memory, but I think he said like three to five years before you even start to see any progress in these investments. It's easy to read like the first quarter out and be like, oh, I got a long-term time horizon. Yeah. Let's see like two years out uh, because this guy has not stopped the investment ramp. Uh, and it's, it's just, it's an amazing, like it's amazing to see what that company has been investing on the expense side. It's just incredible. And it's amazing to see the revenue continue to grow at just huge rates on huge bases. Uh, and that's despite, you know, all of the concerns that I share with you guys about, you know, what's the duration of these assets and stuff. And end of the day, one, one thing that, that was kind of interesting that came out over the past week, uh, shout out to Modest Proposal for saving, uh, sharing this one, but they did a TikTok versus Reels comparison. And one of the complaints about Instagram Reels is that it was too targeted. So like people like that TikTok uh, has a bunch of different things and that people are like authentic and it doesn't feel fed to you. Reels almost feels like 
too tailored to certain users and they want more spontaneity. So uh, Zuck said that he's going to start developing the apps with young people in mind. Um, it'd be interesting to see how many changes and, you know, on top of all of the, uh, the news that has come out about it in the recent past, I don't know. It's going to be real interesting, man. I can make a really articulate argument. This is one big value trap and I can make a really articulate argument that they're investing for the future. And I don't know which one will win. I saw the, I almost bought a riff last year and I saw it again this year and thought I might get one for, for Christmas. Um, what is the benefit? There's a good question here from Beefy Capital. So I'll, I'm just saying I'm, um, I'm sympathetic to this view and I do think that the next operating system, you know, like the, the shift has gone from the desktop operating system to probably your browser to probably mobile and then the next one is probably I don't know if it's the Rift or whatever it is, but it's probably a VR type interface. But there's a good question here from Beefy Capital. What's the, what's the benefit of doing a presentation over VR versus Zoom? Uh, well, I mean, I, if, I don't know. I guess the question back to Beefy, please uh, you know, hit us up in the comments is, have you used a Rift yet? What is that? Is that the headset? Well, yeah, yeah. the Oculus, yeah. Okay. I mean, about 300 bucks from what I can see. Yeah, is that like, entry level? It feels real like there, it, there, you have like sensory like feelings that I don't think you get on Zoom. Zoom is very 2D. Like the Oculus is very immersive. Do you need any other hardware to make it operate? You literally just have the, the headset and like, the yeah, I mean, I don't things. so I don't, Haptic I don't body know. Body suit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what this <laughs> consulting firm is doing, but like my buddy who he and I talk about this with, like he just said to me, he goes, um, you know, so this is not a presentation comment, but he goes, uh, the technology is just not there yet, but it's a matter of time. AR with deep fake tech is going to change the game. Think of watching a movie in 3D on Oculus where you can pick the characters and then you deep fake your own like face onto the characters. Uh, like that's pretty fucking cool. That's very near term stuff, right? Like that can't be that far It's not away. that far away. So, you know, I mean... Then you think of like I think about why I'm so hesitant on airlines and stuff that's airline related is I could see a scenario where, you know, maybe I go look at the David in VR or AR and I or VR, I guess. And then I say, OK, well, I'd like to fly there and actually feel the experience and touch it and whatever. But if you get like consulting firms in mass adopting this stuff and they're no longer flying around the U.S., like, I don't know. Good luck. Uh, a lot of the airline's profit margin is that not so much spirit, you know, but like the, the big hub carriers, I don't we, know. We we'll inch see. one step closer to the matrix. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yes. And, and I think like, I think why Zuckerberg would say that he's got the core competency because I've, I've sort of debated. He's this. a robot already. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it is, it is sort of the next logical extension of social. Right. Is the idea like what he wants to or my perception of what he wants to be able to do is you're in your living room and the three of us want to have a conversation, but we don't want to do it this way. I want to look over here and then look over here and see Jake and Toby. And all of a sudden I'm doing it and it feels very real. It's got a long way to go, but I think it's inevitable. Who wins is kind of the harder question. So you're currently using it to play games. Yeah. Are they fun? specifically boxing yeah they kick ass but i don't know how to knock the guy out and it upsets me the other thing is like i always hyperextend my elbow 
I never like like when I'm really going for knockout, I end up kind of I'm, so I'm like, ah, but yeah, it that, feels real then. Yeah, for sure. It does. Is that what's the lag like? It's not it, like it's there's no not. Lag. It's awesome. I mean, for now, it's just a cool like novelty toy, but um, I haven't checked if they fixed Facebook TV, but like I would 100 percent sit down and watch an NBA game on that stuff or NFL. If you gave me like a sideline view, I think it'd be sick. So, yeah, so you, you, you're not sitting down watching it. You're sitting down as if you're at the game and you can look around and see. Yeah. That's interesting. It's dope. Well, I'll get it's one and I'll, uh, I'll report yet. back at some stage. And I, I think, <laughs> I'll report back having bought a whole lot of Facebook stock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I, think what he's, I think what he's saying is like, it, what I would say is there's the development and developer community is not there yet. If I were running Facebook, I would just like pour money into that because I would say like, you know, tech has at least demonstrated flywheels in the past. If yeah. you can get the developers, you can get the products. If you get that, then you can get the headsets out and that's how you lead. It's almost like a Roku strategy with uh, Oculus. Not quite. I understand there's problems with that analogy, but. And then how, how does that give him the metaverse? It gives him the only entryway into it. Or the only entryway into Facebook's closed system. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I, I don't know that he gets the metaverse, but like what what they're going to try to do is have their own enterprise software, you know, uh, system, and then you can have plugins on top of that, and you can build into their software. And I think they kind of want to become Windows of the metaverse, and then have a closed system. And then it's just all ads everywhere you look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a real, a real question is, do people trust them enough to allow Facebook to do it? But I'll tell you what, I don't trust Apple at all. And I, I know I was too hard on Apple a couple episodes ago, but like, I do not believe that that is some, oh, we're here for you. Fuck that. That's some yeah, I don't marketing trust any nonsense. None of them are trustworthy. They're all scary. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I don't know. I just think it's a natural conclusion of once you're public and you have to show growth. Like I just, I don't know. I think you get perverse incentives. We've got, you've got a little bit of at time. a certain size. Let me, uh, there's, there's a question. Um, I got some questions for you guys. There's a, there's a question here about what's the difference between return on invested capital, return on equity, return on assets. Do you guys want to take a shot at that? Yeah. Return on assets is like your unlevered return on assets. Sorry for being obvious, but uh, it's the truth. It's worth, yeah. Let's let's talk about what they actually are. Yeah. So, I mean, it's your asset base and your, I mean, net income. Let's just assume everything's clean and you're not adjusting anything. It's the net income divided by your total assets should give you an idea in theory of like how profitable your asset base is. Your return on equity is going to be influenced by the amount of leverage that you apply to that asset base. And then your return on invested capital includes working capital. Uh, like you're going to give yourself some benefit for some payables and maybe some liabilities and whatnot that uh, create the working capital cycle of the business. The assets, like your return on assets, would not give you credit for any of the positive effect of liabilities to the extent there is any. I would add that uh, in general, when you're thinking through return on whatever it is in this domain, that 
it really helps to try to think of it from a business person's perspective. And what is it that is needed to create that dollar of revenue, to create that eventual return? Uh, and getting hung up on accounting definitions or academic definitions will, they're a place to start, but you have to think through as a business person and really like look at a balance sheet and say, what is required to generate this? And it doesn't matter what they call it, but in the real world, what is happening? Uh, and I find that that will eliminate a lot of the arguments and uh, sloppy thinking around what is a business actually doing. I mean, return on invested capital, you can argue that intangibles shouldn't be in that, right? But then it depends if you're acquisitive and all that. I don't know. I will say one thing that I, I really enjoy talking to Kyler Hassan about this uh, his perspective, like if you lever up and you make an acquisition and then you pay down the debt, it's you're using equity, right? You might get the time value of the equity, but like fundamentally you're using equity. Uh, a business like Transdime that buys a business and then uh, improves the business metric to the point that they can continue to not pay down the debt, that's like truly not using equity. Uh, and there's that's like a wrinkle between these serial acquirers that do it well. Now, one can say, well, if you have a bunch of debt and it goes south, is it a zero? And I would say, yes, CLTs, even though it's not a zero, folks. I'm just saying that's the risk. Uh, there's a question here about, I saw Scotty Jackson had one about uh, Yen Liao. So I only, this is, uh, someone had suggested to me that I go and do some research on Yen a little while ago and then linked up to his um, presentation to the Microcap Club, Ian Castle's Microcap Club. It's a really great presentation. It's worth having a look at. He's an Aussie who's lived in New York for a a long time now, I think 20 years or something like that. And he runs a, uh, he runs a firm called Aravat Capital, A-R-A-V-T, mm -hmm. uh, something like that. The game within the game. Yeah, the presentation's called The Game mm -hmm. Within the Game. Absolutely fascinating presentation because he talks about, he talks about, he's got, a, he's got an interesting approach where he's not in that micro cap where they're still doing the, um, the testing to see if the if the product is you know, product market fit that to the point where they're in the replication stage so they've built out they've got the business model right and they're building that and that's what their that's what their bread and butter is they try to find those sort of firms that have that rapid period of growth where they're just replicating and then they're looking for things that aren't particularly cyclical so that where there's volatility the volatility is in the price rather than in the business results so if they see lots of volatility in the price, they can take advantage of it, knowing that there's not, the volatility won't be in the in the business results. They've got some great returns. Uh, it's a very interesting presentation. It's worth checking out. I, I tweeted it out yesterday, and I think you can also find it on Microcap Club YouTube channel. Are you familiar with Yen? Are there of you guys familiar with Yen? I've heard fantastic things about him. I reached out to him to do a pod, and he said he's all talked out, which I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> mouth taping they'll fix that <laughs> yeah he's, he's like i don't know i shared everything i got for this year i said that makes sense to me man when you're ready to share again let's chat yeah he did he did bobby crafts as well i think i haven't seen that one yet but that, that looked good yeah no he sounded he, everyone that i know that has talked about him uh says that uh when he's talking about compounders and the way that he analyzes lungs, it would behoove people to listen. Yeah. Ian says he does a very deep dive. Shout out to Ian. Shout out to Scotty. Two of the 10. Bill Miller's the third. Who else is out there? <laughs> There's a lot of guys. I wonder if the buff dog's listening. What's up, buff dog? He probably, he probably waits until it comes out on audio. 
You yeah. think? I, yeah, that's right. He's deferring the cookie. <laughs> Horse. Marshmallow. Yeah. That too. Um, we got a f- we got about seven minutes left, Amiga. So throw in uh, throw in any questions that you have. I'll see if I, I'll scroll back through and see if I can find some. Have I tried Kane's chicken tenders yet? No, I haven't. Mm. Uh, there's the, the the lines. Every time I drive down the street for all the chicken places, the lines are just out the door. It's nuts. You even eat stuff like that? You're beautiful. Nah, I assumed nah. you didn't. Yeah. Too many sit ups, man. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I'm not saying no. Friday, Saturday night. Oh yeah. Life's too short not to do some of that. Um, how often do you mentally go through any one trade? How often do you mentally go through any one trade? What's that mean? Like reviewing sure. it? Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, let, let's talk a little bit. I'll tell bit. you what, I do a lot best if, uh, better if I thought a lot less. That's definitely a market comment. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not at all. My one of my absolute fucking weaknesses is impatience and overtrading. A hundred percent. I know it about myself. And I would just do better if I did the guy spear, buy it and go look in two years and don't touch it for that long. And I sit there and in between a quarter when there's no real news, I think about stuff and it's it's a deficiency that I have. Uh, and it is one of my weaknesses. Box combo, no slaw, extra toast is the Cane's order. Okay, thanks for that, Beefy. I'll put that. I'll get that one next time. I got to feed. I got to feed a family of five, so we get we get a big haul when we go through there. Can we get sponsored by them? Yeah, we need something. Something. Anyone? <laughs> Google just takes these thirty-two cents every time. Dollar eighty-seven. She doesn't go far. You can just get saying. A, you can get I'm just trying to tell Costco, people about the Gates chip. It's not my fault. Uh, my wife reports that the Costco hot dog, you've now apparently got to go through security, at least in California, you do before you can get access to it. Makes no sense. rolling up outside. Or the Los Dude, Angeles can I, one. Can I say something serious? I um, want to thank, <laughs> I want to thank remains the, to be seen. the guy from Bridgewater followed up with me, wrote me very, very uh, like detailed commentary. I still don't know why some of our listeners listen to us. I, I hope I bring and we bring some happiness to your life. I, we sincerely appreciate your input. So thank you. That's an uh, honest comment. So I got, I got a good one. Except here. for the trolls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thoughts on companies with two or more classes of shares and all the voting rights are concentrated within a single family. So this is something that I did a little bit of research on because there's Clearly, it cuts both ways, right? If you've got a great family with concentrated voting power, then that's the ideal situation. If you have a family that isn't great with concentrated voting power, that's the worst situation. Mm. And so there's, no, there's nothing like quantitative about concentration of shareholders that necessarily leads to better results. The diffusion is great if they're bad and you can have some sort of catalytic event to come through and tip them out. Concentration is great if they're good. Um, so there's other criteria there. That's that's my two cents. My gut answer is uh, if you're looking for the huge outliers, you probably want to fish in that pond. And I'm thinking like Buffett, Zuck, uh, Bezos. Like, and I'm not even I'm not even necessarily saying dual class. I'm just saying like clear voting control. Uh, Founder-led voting control is probably where you're going to find the biggest outcomes. But 
if they do something like Zuck chose to do with all this investment in the metaverse and you don't agree with yeah, it, you're, like, for the you're screwed. Um, I saw a good thing. But you, if you got liquidity, you just sell. JT, you got two cents? Uh, I think you guys are right. I mean, I think founder or at least owner operator mindset is and skin in the game is hugely important. Um, however, the, the dual class can create a different sets of skin for different shareholder bases, and that could be problematic. Uh, so yeah, I think you're both of your thinking around it is makes sense to me. I didn't mean so, to forget Malone. Love you, doctor. I shouted at Malone. I, okay, I, there you go. I, I saw a chart yesterday. I wasn't sure. It was, it was Pabrai's. Um, if you had shamelessly cloned Pabrai using 13F data, which is delayed, and then you had been fully invested and rebalanced quarterly to the portfolio as it was disclosed, you've like handily beaten. I think, it was, I think that the base was 2009. So this is pretty recent history to date. You've handily beaten the MSCI um, universe that he that he's invested in i don't know how he has performed relative to that tracking portfolio the, I did, I couldn't see in, yeah I, cu I couldn't see how he had done but i just thought it was interesting because that was one of the things hmm. that jt talked about a few weeks ago and it's one of the things that i uh you know employ in, in in my process that i really try to build up as jt puts it build a robot of yourself or build a bot of yourself that then you know implements the trades with that fear or favor because there are plenty of times that i look at it and it, Makes me a little bit nervous too, but I think it's a better approach and it seems to certainly have worked for Pabrai's bot. I'm not going to have a lot of people joining me on that, on that journey, but that's the way I'm doing it. I have nothing to add. Yeah, that's, uh, well, we, you know, we talked about this already, but it's that <clears throat> the, the fact that you're a different version of yourself every time you, yeah. you sidle up to the... <laughs> <laughs> to the trade desk uh, could be could be good or could be bad. Jay, I'm very know, with the you, sun's up. Do you know any ways to systematize that or maybe track uh, how nope. you think? And oh, okay, well maybe maybe someday you'll have some announcements. I don't know. Someday we'll 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 slay this beast. There we go. Just do it before we eat all that cat poop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eat, eat the cat poop, then go and then go and build the bot. Then go so yellow. The will be like the eight percent, and then when you go increasingly nuts from all the cysts in your mind, the bot will stay sane the whole way through. But aggressive, yeah. But aggressive, sane but yeah. aggressive. Yeah, there you go. That's a good approach. Sane but aggressive. Yeah, the conservative aggressive cat Peter. It's the next book. <laughs> That's it, amigos. That was fun. Oh gosh, going out on, on a high way to end it. Have a safe flight, Toby. Thanks, guys. Yeah.